0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Crude Reports. My name is Jim Washer. I'm Editor-in-Chief here at Argus. And with me today, once again, is Nada Itayim, our Editorial Manager in Dubai. So today, we're looking ahead to next week's OPEC Plus meeting, which takes place against the backdrop of rising oil prices, growing political tensions between Russia, Europe and the US over Ukraine, but growing confidence also that the Omicron COVID-19 variant is not as dangerous as initially feared, and that the worst of the Omicron wave may in fact be over in some countries. So Nada, let's start with the market situation OPEC Plus is dealing with heading into next week's meeting. Prices already at their highest level since 2014 and looking like they could rise further. So what's behind this and is it likely to continue?
1: Hi, Jim. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's right. Uh, OPEC Plus, it heads into these meetings with oil at its highest for around seven years. I mean, it surpassed last year's highs around 84. As we record this podcast, Brent has crossed the $89 per barrel mark, and it's really knocking on the door of 90. Um, in terms of why this is happening, it seems to be down to like a confluence of several unfortunate events, shall we say. Um, there's the fundamentals and also, as you say, that, you know, of course, geopolitics. With um, respect to the fundamentals, I mean, bottom line is we're seeing tightening balances on demand. One of the main fears we had, say two months ago, when we were having this same chat, it was around you know the Omicron variant that had just sort of burst onto the scene. I mean, there were there were concerns that it could be pretty severe and trigger another wave of restrictions and lockdowns around the world, and you know that would have come all while supply was likely to increase, well with OPEC plus continuing to unwind its cuts. But fast forward to today, I mean, those fears have, at least for the for the most part, they've subsided. Um, although Omicron has proved to be sort of more contagious and transmissible than earlier variants, its severity on the whole is, you know, much reduced. As a result, we've seen a softer response by many governments across the globe, um, although that hasn't really been the case, you know, across the board. It's primarily been in the Northern Hemisphere where, you know, governments are taking a more pragmatic approach, so we say. And they're really sort of staying away from the kind of serious restrictions and, and measures that we were seeing earlier in the year. Sorry, early in the pandemic. Um, and yet, you know, in places like China, we're seeing the total opposite. I mean, t- China is is pressing ahead with its, you know, its COVID zero policy, particularly with um, the Lunar New Year uh, and, and the start of the Winter Olympics just around the corner. I mean, we're talking about lockdowns and restrictions on movement in some of the country's largest cities and, and port hubs, which, you know, really is starting to crimp demand. Overall, however, demand is still robust and stronger than expected and very much on the up. Uh, regarding supply, I mean, within OPEC plus, we're already seeing several countries in the group struggling to meet their production quotas uh, as dictated by the deal. Um, some of the usual suspects, Nigeria, Angola, even Malaysia. Um, which ultimately means that the group is, you know, continuing to under deliver on its pledged 400,000 barrel per day, uh, monthly output additions. According to Argus's own figures, the 19 OPEC and o- non OPEC members that participate in the cuts, they delivered, um, 300,000 barrel per day extra to the market in December. Now that's just, you know, 75% of the pledge, but you know, several consecutive months of under delivering, that's left, that's left them around. I think 650,000 barrels per day below their collective, you know, cap uh for December. I mean, that's a gap that looks set to only grow over the coming months. You know, add to that some unforeseen disruptions and outages in countries that are not participating in the deal, say, you know, in Ecuador and, and Libya last month. And there's little surprise we're seeing prices as they are. And in terms of geopolitics, I mean, there's been several episodes, some are ongoing, that you'd have to say are contributing to the rise in prices. Um, not least the ongoing tensions between Ukraine and Russia, where, you know, even if we dismiss the threat of military action, I mean, the possibility of sanctions alone on Russia could represent yet another risk to world supply. Um, beyond that, we've seen, you know, the Houthis in Yemen, they've, they've stepped up their attacks in the region. I mean, most recently to the UAE, uh, which has been a target of two separate ballistic missile and drone attacks in the past two weeks. I mean, that's effectively opened up a whole new front in the ongoing Yemen war. Um, with, you know, the, the Houthis, they're previously only really focusing their attacks on Saudi Arabia and on shipping through the Bevan Mandub Strait. So. All in all, I mean, I'd say it's difficult to see anything other than oil prices continuing to move up over the coming weeks and months. I mean, there, there certainly doesn't seem to be anything obvious that would cause you know your prices to fall.
0: Okay, that's a lot for OPEC to think about. Um, I mean, so how worried are they about all this? How worried are they about this, this rise in prices?
1: Well, from what we've been seeing and hearing over the past few weeks, I think the answer to that is, you know, yes, it is a concern for OPEC Plus, but also no. Yes, in that oil prices at or around the $100 per barrel mark, I mean, those, they're not good for anybody. Oman's oil minister, uh, Mohammed Al-Rumhi, he, he said earlier this month or earlier in January that OPEC Plus as a group doesn't really want to see oil at $100 per barrel. I mean, he said the world is not really ready for that. He pointed to the fact that OPEC and its non-OPEC partners, they're now meeting on a monthly basis, and that sort of allows them to keep their hands firmly on the proverbial wheel and stop the market from overheating. Other OPEC delegates that we've spoken to, they also say the same. But why I also say no here is that there doesn't really also seem to be an overriding sense among these delegates that, at least for the moment, that something needs to be done about it. Or hang on, let let me, sorry, let me rephrase. There's something that they need to do about it, you know? I mean, why do I say that? These delegates that we've spoken to, several of them have pointed out, you know, to a very, very, they've pointed a very clear, um, geopolitical element to the price rise. They admit that yes, fundamentals have played a part in, in the, the prices rising, you know, supply tightness, concerned over future spare capacity and such. But, you know, that alone, they say that this doesn't explain why the prices are where they are, you know, at, at around 90. Um, they feel that, you know, the concerns over supply disruptions, either because of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine or in the Middle East, I mean, they feel that's sort of more to blame for the trajectory of the price at the moment, particularly when consider the importance of these countries. I mean, Russia and the UAE in OPEC plus. And because of this, I mean, because of this geopolitical element, there's a feeling that, that you know, this really – isn't their problem to fix. You know, as was the case when um you know when prices were last in the say 80s in October. At that point they they didn't feel the the market was necessarily in deficit for them to, you know, produce more. So I think I think the same can be said for now. So
0: at least for now, I think the sense is that it's better to wait it out. Okay, so perhaps from the sound of it, we shouldn't really expect them to do too much um, to counter this. But is this really a question of what they they want to do or or what they can or can't do?
1: Right, so that's an interesting question. Essentially, you know, can the group do more than the 400,000 barrels per day in any one month if needed, right? I mean, in theory, within the confines of this deal, you'd have to say no. Now, why? That's because the agreement essentially only really allows them to increase production by, you know, a maximum of 400,000 barrels per day each and every month through to April and a maximum of 432,000 barrels per day every month beyond that through until September, assuming that the group, you know, doesn't really choose to pause these hikes in any one month. But when you look at the you look at the numbers a little bit more closely as i mentioned before you know we see that OPEC plus as a group they've in many months really been falling short of actually delivering that that 400 barrel 1000 barrels per day increment as a reminder you know what did we say in our last um, Argus sur- production survey i mean we found that that the, the the countries that are participating in the deal only delivered 3 quarters of the 400,000 barrels per day ple- that they pledged to add um, as several countries, you know, kept their output below their ceilings. In some cases, you know, as with Saudi Arabia, for example, sure, I mean, this is intended. But in many other cases, such as you know, with Nigeria, Angola, Equatorial Guinea, Congo, I mean, this is more down to an inability to produce more. I mean, typically for operational reasons, which are in most cases per- pretty persistent. I mean, that left the group 650,000 barrels per day below their collective cap in December. And as the group continues to unwind the cut, I mean, this problem is only going to get bigger as more and more countries begin to struggle with you know, the same thing. So, I mean, what now? So far, several OPEC ministers have dismissed the suggestion or the notion that these countries, you know, those countries with spare capacity, so, you know, the likes of Saudi Arabia, UAE, for example, I mean, that they could compensate for those who are not really able to deliver their own shares of the cuts. They say that, you know, it's it's every country's right to decide whether to produce that quota um or under, and it would essentially be against the spirit of a deal to encroach on another country's quota. That's fair. But I'd argue personally that, you know what, I mean, OPEC plus and OPEC before it, they've always found ways around such things in the past in the sense that, you know, when needs must, they've always been able to tweak the rules, rejig the deal, essentially do what's necessary. And there is precedent for this. In um, in the middle of 2018, for example, uh, th- there was a point when there was, you know, huge overcompliance by the group as a whole in that several countries are cutting just too much. In may- many cases, you know, due to reasons that were really out of their control. At that point, the group then decided, you know, those countries with capacity should produce more to compensate for the countries that weren't able to fulfill their own quotas admittedly, if such a plan were to be put on the table today, it wouldn't be that popular, you know, with many countries and the group still having, you know, some room to go before they reach their capacity. But further down the road, several months down the line, when, when you know, when a number of more countries are at or close to reaching capacity, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that they once again, you know, revert to that kind of an arrangement if the market is clearly in deficit. So, you know, I'll repeat something I've said many times before. OPEC Plus and OPEC before it—it's nothing if it's not flexible.
0: Okay, so next week's meeting. Let's let's get into some specifics here. We've got all the sort of backdrop and the sort of the kind of OPEC rationale. Here. What what do we think is going to happen next week?
1: Right. So in terms of the coming meeting, I mean, what we're hearing from delegates is that we should really be expecting more of the same. <laughs> I'm sorry to say this. It feels like I'm doing it every month, but. I mean, it feels like we're going to get another continuation of the plan, you know, as is an in, in, in agreement to sanction yet another 400,000 barrel per day increase in the overall quota for March. Uh, and that's really for many of the reasons I laid out a little earlier. I mean, first, again, that there isn't really a feeling at the moment that the market is necessarily in deficit and in need of more crude but also because, really, a decision to raise quotas by more than 400,000 barrels per day at a time when the group is already struggling with that volume or to bring on that volume every month, it would really only end up putting more pressure on the group. So, you know, that said, though, of course, uh, you know, with prices being as high as they are at the moment, you can never really discount some 11th-hour pressure being placed on the group from Washington to, you know, do more. But save that, I think I think we're all set for yet another quick and straightforward meeting this month, which, to be honest, it may not be such a bad thing, given how complex things are you know, likely to start looking very soon. These meetings, these short and sweet meetings, they may soon become a thing of the past.
0: Soon become a thing of the past. Now, that's rather intriguing. So why? Why is that? What's on the agenda in the next few months?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, there's, there's many things to look forward to, but there's one thing in particular that at least I personally find, uh, could, you know, cause a little bit of, uh, intrigue, confusion, possibly even a bit of tension as well. Um, it's this idea or this decision, um, to, to issue new higher baselines for five of the OPEC plus group's members. That's, that's going to soon come into effect. I mean, if you remember, the group in mid-2021, they, so they agreed to issue new higher baselines to five countries. So Saudi Arabia, Russia, the UAE, Kuwait, and Iraq. Um, this all started after the UAE was pushing for higher baselines, uh, in exchange for, you know, an agreement to extend the deal beyond the April 2022, the original April 2022 expiry uh in the end after a lot of toing and froing they got given um this higher baseline but that also came with higher baselines for these four other um countries now in the uh these, these these new baselines that were agreed they amounted to a cumulative uh 1.6 million barrels per day um and they would take effect essentially from May 2022 through until the end of the year so in the days and weeks following that agreement, there was some confusion among delegates as to what impact that, that would have come May. Um, there were some delegates who said at the time and who still say today that this could actually, you know, translate into a 1.6 million dollar day hike um, in May to actually reflect the change in baselines. But others have repeatedly insisted to us. You know and and publicly that this isn't really the case. they've said that you know the purpose of the change in the baselines was essentially to basically protect these countries in the event that that new cuts are agreed in the future in the sense that they would really have to cut from a higher baseline for what it's worth as of now, we at Argus we're of the understanding that the change will not will not essentially translate into an additional one point six million pounds per day of supply um but with some delegates still unsure, I'd say it's certainly one to
0: watch. Okay. Well, that certainly will be, um, I think, an intriguing issue for the next few months. Um, that is quite a volume of oil, but as you say, far from clear that that's really what that means. Okay. Well, Naila, thank you, as ever, for your time today. Let's give us a good steer on what to expect next week. Um, if you want to keep up to date with our in-depth OPEC news and analysis, then why not subscribe to Argus Global Markets or Petroleum Argus or indeed both? Uh, You can find more information on these services at www.argusmedia.com. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of The Crude Report.